0: Is it possible to only read dead people and still lead beyond tradition? Or, what are the ways in which we as pastors might help congregations progress, move forward? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. It's that podcast where we explore the intersections of life, faith, and thinking theologically. That is, when we consider the uh, events, experiences of life. How do we think them and relate about them in relationship to God's activity in the world? Today on the podcast, I have a conversation with Wade Burleson. I've known Wade for a number of years. He pastors here in the state of Oklahoma. In fact, he's pastored at the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Enid, or Emmanuel Church in Enid, for 25 years. We caught up last week at the uh, memorial service for one of our friends. He made a comment that uh, uh, caused me to think. He said, you know, I'm not really involved in denominational politics anymore, my church and community and family take all of my time, and that's what's important, he said. We share a number of experiences, uh, had some, our paths have crossed for a number of reasons over the years. So I gave way to call, and we have a conversation really about pastoring and pastoring uh, as. Eugene Peters would say, as an act of a long obedience in the same direction when he uses that phrase to talk about discipleship. So I hope this will be helpful to you if you're a pastor or you're a lay leader. You'll learn that as Wade uh, talks about his experience in Enid, he points to those who serve both vocationally, and as he calls it, avocationally, that is those who would find themselves call to be pastors and those who serve as lay pastors or lay ministers there in Enid. If you find this podcast helpful, uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes, subscribe in your favorite uh, podcatcher, and remember to share the podcast. You can uh, sign up to receive uh, regular updates on the website at toddlittleton.net or pathological.com. Either way you'd like to get it, then you're... um, inbox would receive a notice of uh, a blog post or the uh, latest podcast. always appreciate you listening and want to provide those resources that will be helpful as we uh, lead in uh, the local church and produce um, ways to think carefully and theologically about our life and faith. So here's my conversation with uh, Wade Burleson.
1: Variety of different things that, that uh, I, I do, but pastoring is probably at the top of the list. Well,
0: good. So, so let's kind of take off uh, from there because one of the things that um, uh, you don't hear a lot about is a, a person at a church twenty-five years. Mm. And um, and so, you know, I remember in nineteen eighty-eight listening to um, a presentation. Um, From a representative from BGCO in Fort Worth, say that uh, on any given Sunday, there were a dozen staff changes. That would be twelve leaving and twelve coming to different churches, with an average kind of tenure of somewhere between eighteen and twenty-two months. And uh, so, for we who are graduating at that moment, thought, boy, that's 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 really good job security. (laughs) Yeah, really. So tell me the things that have motivated you. I mean, I, I know we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to reference the leadership of God and the Spirit, but there, there, there are decisional things along the way. I'm, I'm certain you've had opportunities to, you know, uh, make vocational changes. And so, what were some of the other driving factors in in you uh, choosing a long tenure? Sure.
1: Well, I was 29 uh, when I came, and prior to coming, I was police chaplain uh, at Tulsa Police Department. And, you know, our motivation to coming to Enid was to raise our children in a community uh, where the crime wasn't as high uh, in terms of rate as it was in Tulsa. And, and to be fair to Tulsa, um, I did work mostly at night. Because I had a full time job as a pastor, and so I'd be called, carried a police radio, so I saw all I saw the seamy side and things that happened at night, murders, and my job was to identify the victim and notify next of kin. So I really I wanted our young kids to grow up in a small community, and uh, it's a it's a fairly large church in a small community, and so I can't understand why a pastor might only stay two, three, four years at a smaller church because the opportunity to have a a wider sphere of influence. I'm reminded that Charles Spurgeon left Water Beach Chapel and went to London as a very young man. And his stated reason was that his sphere of influence would be greater in London than it would be in the little chapel out in the country. And he loved the people out there. Well, so that's the reason we made the, the decision to come to Enid in 92 and it was, but it was a larger church and has continued uh, to be larger. The, though we have about 47,000 in our community. I mean, you know, large Sundays we'll have 3000 in, in, in worship on special occasions like Easter. And that's, that's a pretty big crowd for 47. Yeah, it is. Uh, so uh, we, we stayed here. I have had opportunities to go other places. Uh, uh, but what's, what's fascinating to me is um, with the advent of the Internet, podcasts like this, and, you know, good night, uh, you, we, we broadcast our services live, and we, we get letters from people all over the world uh, who, who watch. In fact, this Sunday, Todd, we've got a family. I've never met them. They're called uh, they're named the Reesers. They're from Ohio. And they're driving 20 hours to come. To Enid, they want a tour of the facility because they've been uh, considering themselves members of our church for the last three years. They watch in their living room every Sunday. Yeah, and they've never, they give regularly, but they've never seen the building Hmm. or met the people. So they're coming down to see um, the building to meet people and then driving back to Ohio. So, you know, that's another reason why we stayed so long pragmatically because. I don't know that you have any more influence uh, going to Oklahoma City or Dallas or New York even uh, as if you do it well on the Internet. I'll tell you a funny little story uh, that might hold people's interest a, a little bit. We've got a guy who's an invalid in Australia. And I think he had read some things that I'd written online, and he started watching our services, and he was addicted to nicotine, but he couldn't get out of bed, but he'd smoke in bed, and he was concerned for his health. So he wrote a letter to our church saying, hey, listen, I watch you every Sunday. I, I consider Emanuel in Oklahoma my home church, but I can't get off of nicotine. So we sent him an entire package of uh, nicotine-free gum, <laughs> other medicine from our church, and Got a letter back from him. He's now nicotine free. I mean, so that that would be like if the guy was living across the street, we'd be doing the same thing. But he just happens to live in Sydney, Australia. So it's it's a different world today than it was in Spurgeon's day.
0: Yeah, it is, and 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 I think kind of one of the theological intersections at that particular point is the the whole kind of working out um, you described to. Uh, uh, a family, and then this fellow that, that really yeah. finds um, being reached by the internet. That Emmanuel is their community, mm-hmm. um, and you know, community is kind of a contemporary buzzword. Uh, and so, as such, there are those who don't think you can have real community unless you're, you know, in, in flesh and blood relationship. And and yet, you describe a couple of occasions where certainly someone has felt so much apart that that uh, they give, they're driving 20 hours, or someone's willing to write a, you know, write you a letter and say, you know, here's my circumstance, and you reach out in response, and so kind of how do you, how do you locate yourself in, in kind of that, kind of matrix?
1: (laughs) It's a great, great question. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I was taking U.S. history, and had an excellent teacher, and she said, give us a definition of what it means to be a political conservative. Well, Everyone was stumped, uh, but I'll never forget the response that she gave. She said, "Conservative can only be defined uh, based upon current events and where people are at the moment," and and she gave great illustrations of how liberals in days past uh, become conservatives of the future, uh, mm. and and uh, so. I say that to say community is a buzzword, but you better define it. Right. Here's what I find interesting about the word community. Millennials say, oh, we're all about community. But when they worship, and we've noticed this in our church, all they want is individualistic worship. Yeah. That's what millennials want. They yeah. don't want lights up. They want lights down. They want basically a concert where they listen and don't participate to sing. They don't want somebody shaking their hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's individualistic worship. But what's fascinating is when they poo-poo older Christians who 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 uh, go to traditional worship. It's fascinating. Traditional worship is community. Mm-hmm. You shake hands. You welcome people. You put your arm around them, and so on. So the millennials who say all we care about is community, I say, oh come on, define it. Right. Uh So so. Uh, here's what I would say uh, community is whatever community is to a person at a specific time, wherever they may be in their lives. Mm-hmm. And this invalid community for him is watching sure. on the internet, uh, getting a package from Oklahoma, this couple uh, from Ohio, they were burned by a church. So community mm-hmm. for them is healing in their living room mm-hmm. and watching the, the service. So you may, you ask an excellent question. Is that community? Sure, as they define it. Is right. it community the way others would define it? No, but yeah. the definition is all relative based upon where people are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think context is is, uh, um, is often construed as um, uh, singular. Differences between Tuttle and Enid are, are uh, significant in terms of size, yeah. Uh, and, but there, there are a lot of contextual differences, Sure. Uh, you know, from, from where
1: you are and where we are. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all context. I agree with that.
0: Context isn't ubiquitous, it, 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 it's not something that, you know, you universalize. Uh, even though we're both in Oklahoma and there are certain demographic characteristics of our state, uh, Enid is not, uh, not Tuttle and Tuttle's not Enid. So yeah. um, you do have yeah. to pay attention to context.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we have this argument in staff meeting all the time. We have staff members who come in who say, hey, did you hear what Journey Church did? Did you hear what Life Church did? Or did you hear what uh, Willie George's church in Tulsa did? Or, you know, First Baptist Church? And I'm like, "Okay, great. But we're not going to imitate anybody else because we understand our context. We understand our culture. We understand what we need to do. And 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 so we're going to do that, not what others do.
0: Yeah. So um, in, in kind of you know, is kind of following that little trail, um, what some what are some of the changes, contextual changes that you've seen? I mean, you know, one of our mutual friends um, uh, one time said, um, I've been at a church a long time. I forget how long he had been at First Purcell. And and he said, I'm pastoring my third church. <laughs> You know, but he'd been at the same place a long time because he was talking about kind of whether it was changes in community or changes in complexion of the church or whatnot. And I just wonder, you know, what sort of changes in, in, in your particular context from 1992 to 2017 that you'd say as a pastor, you've had to kind of pay attention to what some of those subtle shifts are or maybe some of those very marked and obvious changes? Um, oh, there's there's marked
1: and obvious changes, uh, huge changes. Nineteen ninety-two, Emmanuel was a traditional Southern Baptist church in every sense of the word. Now they wouldn't know what Southern Baptist traditionalism is. They just were, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, leadership. It was we've been here a long time, and we'll be here a long time after you're gone. And so. Uh, <laughs> You know, not, but they were great people. I mean, sure. the finest people around. So that's not an indictment on them. Right. It's just it was their church. And and so if you ask them, okay, what is your church's purpose? What is it that you're about? I think they'd be hard-pressed to give an answer. I mean, mm-hmm. they'd give the standard, you know, we're about Jesus. We'll tell people about Jesus and, and so on, uh, which is great. But over time, uh, during the 1990s, I began to point out to them, look at the gray hair here. If you're mm-hmm. telling about Jesus, telling the community about Jesus, where are the new people? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, to be blunt, Emmanuel was going the way of most churches. Um, they were they were inbred, looking within, and it was about comfort and what mm-hmm. makes me comfortable. Mm-hmm. And And they weren't thinking about the community in which we live, which includes... Mm-hmm a high rate of opioid addiction and death, a high rate of childhood pregnancy, Mm -hmm. a high rate of mental illness, Mm -hmm. a high rate of prison population. And Mm -hmm. of course, I just gave you statistics for all of Oklahoma, but it's true of Enid as Mm
0: -hmm. well.
1: So we began to ask the question, okay, what do we do to make an impact in our culture? Mm -hmm. And, um, you can say you're interested in culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, my word. But once culture begins to make you uncomfortable, you have to make a decision. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, the average meth addict that walks in to a Southern Baptist church will turn around and walk out within five seconds. Mm-hmm. And the reason is uh, he doesn't fit. So if you're going to reach culture, the question is, okay, are you going to go outside the doors to reach them?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: But when they come into your doors, are you going to continue to reach them? Mm -hmm. No. So we wanted to reach them outside, but we had no idea what it meant to reach them inside. Right. Uh, And so we made some changes, and these changes were very difficult. We asked the question, are we doing a program because people enjoy doing it? Or are we doing a program because it reaches people? Here's an illustration. We had the longest running live nativity Christmas pageant in Oklahoma. And live animals, you know, 300 singers, actors, and so on. Well, by about 1999, when you looked out in the audience, the only kids who were there were the kids who were in it and everybody else was gray-headed, mm-hmm. and no, and nobody young was coming and having their lives transformed by the power of the message of Christ. Now, why was that? Well, it was the advent of the internet, and I'm telling you, there came a cultural shift when young people would rather watch on the internet professional productions than go into a local church and see men put on makeup and act yeah. as if they're on Broadway, Yeah, yeah. and I'm... But the problem was our church is very comfortable because they thought it was just grand and great and they looked forward to it. Sure. So we had to ask them the question, are we doing it for ourselves or are we doing it for other people? Mm. Well, to end, the Christmas pageant was probably similar to Moses having to tear down the golden calves.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah,
1: you know, well, it's, I mean, and you know what? These are good people. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, wonderful people. Now, so go from that time to today. Right, We'll have 100 prisoners who come to our church every Sunday. They're in prison, and they come, and they love it. In fact, two Sundays ago, a man came up to me and said, I've been in prison here in Enid for two years. I'm getting out in a month. I am moving to Enid, and I'm moving to Enid because I need to be a part of this church. Okay, that story is repeated to me time after time after time. I can introduce you to families. So mm-hmm. our church is learning how to reach a culture that is unchurched and mm-hmm. and there's transformational um, power in what is happening in these changed lives. But I'm telling you, uh, Todd, as you know, if I would have been here 10 years and decided I was going to go somewhere else, this church would have continued to be a traditional Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. It takes somebody willing to stay 25 years to really get a kingdom purpose yeah. uh, in yeah.
0: place. So, Yeah, you, and, and so um, here's, here's something to think about for those pastors who might listen. So you helped a congregation uh, think about asking the question of why, why were they— uh, in their church, doing this particular ministry or this particular project, at some point, you had to address that same question for yourself.
1: Oh well, absolutely. So,
0: so that's a tough one, right? I mean, I mean, there there can be times where we can know maybe we need to ask that question at large but we're we're ourselves afraid of what that might mean we're afraid what risks i might have to take we're afraid of what relationships might be uh become tense and so a lot of times we'll take a path of least resistance and and rather than lead a church over a long term we'll decide you know i need to go find a place that's already thinking about making that shift or already has made that shift or that change but as as someone who's been somewhere 25 years, you probably have had some evolution in your kind of thinking about church and about leadership and about how do we get to those places? Uh, You didn't jump in in 1992 and do that. The idea that that we as pastors uh, come to a place, we kind of have to get our feel for the place. You had to assess the context. You had to look at things. and, and, And at the same time, being where you are has some impact on you. So there's, it's, it's a give and take that, that relational side of that. And so what were some of the changes or what were the, some of the things that, um, uh, whether they were changes, uh, theologically and I'm not thinking major, I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking wholesale kind of rebuild or that sort of thing, but there, there had to be some things as a pastor that, that were key themes or, or, uh, key recognitions or realizations that, um, uh, uh, you might call back to and say, this is why I stayed instead of looking for a place that maybe is already fit for ministering in the community to those who are outside.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question, Todd. Um, you know, you and I grew up in a traditional, maybe Southern Baptist church. I'm a third generation Southern Baptist preacher and so we basically receive what we were taught, whether mm-hmm. it's seminary, whether it's my father, we, we receive what we were taught, which was the traditional Southern Baptist way. Well, I read, I study, I write, and I began to discover that some of the traditions that I uh, was taught um, were possibly not even biblical. And when I say biblical, what I mean is from a gospel New Covenant perspective. Three illustrations I could give you. One, uh, women. Uh, The traditional uh, teaching is that women, because of their gender, should obey man and be inferior to him in leadership and in service in the kingdom. And when I began looking at that in Scripture, I I thought the Scripture flat-out contradicted that, Mm -hmm. that in the New Covenant, not ancient Israel and the Old Testament, But in the new covenant, uh, the kingdom of Christ is, is served by leaders who are either men or women, but the distinction is gifting and attitude of service. In other words, those who are first among you are those who consider themselves last. Those who shall lead in the kingdom are those who are servant to all. And gifted servants whether male or female, in the kingdom, I think should be leaders, and and so that I came to that conviction while I was here. Came to other uh, the second conviction I had was was baptism. Uh, Southern traditional Southern Baptist teaching was that you had to be baptized in Southern Baptist waters for it to be legitimate. So we mm-hmm. rejected people who were baptized by immersion in other denominations. And. Mm-hmm. And I came to a belief that scripture says one faith, one Lord, one baptism. So we began to question people about their faith in Christ. If they'd made it public, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and even had sympathy for folks who were baptized a different mode. Those who had pouring over their heads because to them is the picture of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when they came to faith in Christ uh, and and, and so on. But we had to change our constitution. Uh, We, and to receive folks who came from other denominations who were evangelical, who have been baptized by immersion. We received them by their statement of faith. Mm-hmm. And and that was a change. Probably the third uh, major change that uh, uh, theologically that I came to was new covenant theology. Uh, I believe many Southern Baptist churches are a blend of old covenant Israel where the, 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 the preacher is the high priest uh, that, the, the auditorium is the temple, the sanctuary, and you you behave differently, you do differently uh, in the church than you do in, 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 in your business life and home life. And that giving to the church is the law, like it was to Israel giving to the temple. And all the promises of God in most Southern Baptist churches are if-then promises. If you'll do this, then I will bless you. If you obey me, God says, then I will pour out my blessings on you, which were the conditional promises of the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, the Apostle Paul says, all of God's promises to you are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And, of course, that's a radical departure uh, from my training growing up. I even wrote a book on it called Radically New. So theologically, Mm -hmm. that's how I was changing. But I was in a church that was traditional. So a few years ago, uh, probably a decade ago, Uh, you know, I'd still been here 15 years. Mm -hmm. I came to the conclusion I needed to leave. Because for a church to reflect a new covenant, egalitarian viewpoint of ministry, uh, reaching the culture and the kingdom being outside the walls of the local 501c3 nonprofit we called Emmanuel, but we wanted Emmanuel to being immersed in kingdom work, for that to happen, I, I would hurt too many feelings. And mm-hmm. so I resigned, uh, mm-hmm. I, I resigned and made it public, uh, or it was going to be made public on that Sunday, met with the leadership team, just told them it was time for me to leave, go to the city, I was going to plant a church. And so the leadership team convened a private meeting, uh, uh, leadership team men and women in our church that you know chairpersons of the seven standing committees finance property five trustees and then they ask us to join them and they said now wh- you know we love you you love us you've been here a long time why would you leave and go start a new church and you know i did all the stuff well oh, god's called all of, you know the stuff that you mm-hmm. would say not want to hurt my mm-hmm. feelings and one of my friends on the leadership team says no tell us the truth Mm. that we know that's the truth but be brutally honest right why don't you do what you want to do here mm. i said okay you're asking i'll tell you way too many people would be hurt way too many people because this is their church and the pageant is the way they get their identity mm. and what we do we do for our own comfort mm-hmm. and for me to change that there are gonna be some hurt feelings mm. Uh, so long story short, um, they voted and said, it was almost unanimous. Uh, it's 11 to one, I think, Hmm. uh, we want you to stay and do your vision here and we will back you 100%. And so I called some people that I trust and said, you know, this is what they've said. And they were like blown away. Wow. What else could you ask for? And I said, well, I don't think they fully comprehend what this means. And they said, well, go back and tell them. Mm. And so I went back and told them, if I stay, this is what this means. And I laid it out. And they said, no, we stand by our our decision. This is what we want. So I said, hang on. And I'm telling you, I've had the absolute grandest, greatest, funnest time a person could ever imagine. Now, I told them. I said, we'll probably lose 200 people. Mm. I said, but give it, give it time, and um, uh, we will regain that in terms of kingdom people uh, tenfold. And when I, what I meant by that was this. Not from people joining our church from other churches. We are absolutely uninterested in that. Right. right. In fact, we, we give people our blessing to go to other churches. We right. empower them. If the yeah. Spirit's calling you, go. We don't want you coming from another church. We want the lost to be reached with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so it has been a blast. I'll tell you a story of, of kind of the change that has occurred in a young couple. And, and my wife and I took them out to eat two months ago. I had never met them before. Didn't know who they were. Uh, they saw me in the lobby and said, Wade, we want to introduce ourselves. My name is, he's given me permission to share this. My name is Gary Thorpe. This is my wife, Connie. And we've been attending a manual for two years. And I said, really? I said, I had no idea. Oh, yeah, we, we you go to one of the three services, depending upon our work schedule. We usually sit in the balcony. And uh, I said, well, I'd like to get to know you better. And so we invited them out to eat a few weeks later. Well, two months ago, we took them out to eat. Todd? Never seen anything like it. Hmm. As they shared their story with us, she was, she was so overcome with emotion. Her skin color changed, turned beet red. She apologized, tears flowing down her face. This is what happens. When, I don't apologize. He was a meth addict, mm. shot himself wow. up. His left arm was almost gone. He showed me mm. because uh, he infected himself with a needle that was infected. And and almost died. His wife took the same needle, and she too almost died. Uh, they're in the hospital, and 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 they have nothing. Wasted their lives with drugs, alcohol. He'd been in prison. Uh, he had walked out of church at the age of sixteen. He's now fifty-four. Uh, he'd walked out of the church said, I'll never go back. They'd lived together for years, and and. And we're just drug addicts. (laughs) And in the hospital, someone handed them a card and said, we want to invite you to Emmanuel for Easter services. They looked at each other and said, we're going to die if our lives don't change. They said, we walked into the service on Easter. And we looked at each other and said, this is a church. This is not the kind of church we remember. And we sat there. And then we heard you speak. And he, Gary said, we have not missed a service in two years. Wow. And our lives have been transformed. We've been off drugs now for about 18 months. I've got a good job. Uh, and he went on and on. So, I mean, we were taken aback. We were, And when he gets through, I said, Gary, I said, let me ask you a question. Your name is Gary Thorpe. Are you by chance related to Jim Thorpe? the greatest athlete to ever live? He said, he's my grandfather. Wow. I said, are you kidding me? Well, long story short, they are now greeters mm-hmm. and hosts for our worship services. Ah, oh, great. Uh, in the last two months, we've we've given them a role, and they're bringing people down to the front, introducing themselves to these folks. Now, that would have never happened 10 years ago because they would have walked in our right. church and turned around and walked out. Right,
0: right. So, yeah, those are <clears throat> those are uh, the sorts of stories that that uh, I hope are, are encouraging. You know, especially let's say some young pastors happen on and and they they're fearful at, at, at their place that that there's no hope, no possibility of kind of moving the uh, congregation, even themselves, and, and yeah. hear stories like that um, certainly will be not just, uh, inspirational, but hopefully motivational to say, you know, we, we can't keep doing things as we once did. Um, yeah. so, so tell me some of the things that uh, Emmanuel does, uh, uh, community. You, you'd mentioned when we talked last week that, um, you know, the things in your church and the things in your community. So they're, 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 you, you made a point that the, the kingdom is, is not confined to the inside the walls of a building, but it, it's, it's really everywhere. And, and mm-hmm. so what are some things that mm-hmm. what are some what are some things in the community uh in Enid that uh, mm-hmm. you, Emmanuel, are, are involved in?
1: Well, good night. Um, wow. You know, it, it, and I realize, Todd, you and I have been there. I mean, you talk to the preacher. Hey, how things going, man? And then it's just smoke and fire for the next 10 minutes about how mm-hmm. wonderful mm-hmm. things are. And 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 you toot your own horn and I, all that. I, I get that. So I, I preface what I'm about to tell you by saying this is not me. This is not. This is not for the praise of man. This is what our people are doing, and it's extraordinary. And stories that I tell, they could be replicated everywhere in every community, but the pastor has got to be willing to pay the price. And what I mean by that is this, money people who consider the church their church will come after you because there's an uncomfortableness coming, and they don't like what the church is becoming. So you've got to be prepared to lose them, to lose money, to lose friendship. But don't get bitter. Don't get critical. Don't... Uh, no, no. No, live by principle. Know why you're doing what you're doing and do it for the kingdom. I began when they said, Stay and do it here. I began telling our 501c3 nonprofit church members, This is not the kingdom, and I'm not a priest. Uh, Jesus is the high priest, and the kingdom is all around us. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. So, we are a nonprofit. And if you want. A nonprofit that you're comfortable in, there's about, oh, 55 other nonprofits that are Southern Baptists in our community. Go find one you're comfortable in, but we're about to make you uncomfortable. And they're like, how? We're going after the mentally ill. We're going after the homeless. We're going after the poor. We're going after the divorced. We're going after pregnant mothers, uh, unwed mothers. We're going after uh, orphans. We're going after the hopeless and the helpless, the forgotten and the abandoned. And we're going to spend money. And when they start coming, they're not going to give money. And when they start coming, they're going to be smelly. And when they start coming, they're going to be addicted. And when they start coming, they're going to make you uncomfortable. You don't want that. We love you, but you don't have to stay. We changed our name from Emmanuel Baptist Church to Emmanuel Enid. Because Emmanuel Enid said "God with us in Enid," and it said exactly what we needed it to say, and we felt like Emmanuel Baptist Church said too much. Mm. Uh, and now we're still Baptist, and right. we'll always be Baptist. Emmanuel Baptist Church is our legal name, uh, but the the fact of the matter is, when people drive by and see a sign that says Emmanuel Baptist Church, you know, you're, you're like some people. Oh, that's Westboro. Right? They shout, right. "Go to hell, you fags!" You know, and that type of deal. And so and you know i could tell you story after story about that mm-hmm. uh, but i I'll, I'll tell you one some folks you know that that was a little uncomfortable for them because when you when you do a uh you know another name for the community emmanuel Enid, i mean what happened to emmanuel Baptist church you know so but it it's a it's a matter of progress the last thing to change was our big electronic casino sign out front that was built before we made these constitutional changes in 2011 and set a manual Baptist church on it. Well, one day in 2015, it caught fire. Uh, and the only thing that burned was Baptist church. Uh, and to replace Baptist church was thousands of dollars. So we just kept the manual up and, the, and we didn't, so we didn't, I, we think lightning struck it is what happened. Mm-hmm. And so, so, um, that began the changes. So what do we do now? well, Uh, we have a prison ministry to the men and to the women. Uh, We bus in prisoners to one service uh, from the men's uh, side because the state of Oklahoma will not allow men and women prisoners to be in the same worship service. We've had to send people to training to the Department of Corrections because we can't bring them here, we can't feed them, we can't be with them unless we have people responsible who are in that training. Mm. The women come to our contemporary service at 1115. That's one thing we do. We have put on our staff uh, people who uh, were on the streets in Los Angeles among the homeless. Now they are doing the same thing in Enid. It's called Forgotten Ministries. We've opened a homeless shelter. We're the only church that supports the salaries of the people who run it, though we partner with other churches throughout. We don't, we don't say there are staff members, even though we pay their salaries. We put them out there without identifying with Emmanuel Enid because we want everybody from every denomination to support this, mm. and they do. And it's an amazing ministry. We'll have 50 to 60 homeless every night uh, who are sheltered during the heat and during the cold. Um, uh, we uh, have begun an adoption ministry, uh, for, not only uh, for the Department of Human Resources in, in, in terms of foster care, but actually... Talking to people about how to adopt kids who are in foster care uh, who need a home. Celebrate Recovery we, is a remarkable ministry that we have begun that, that is growing. We have a ministry to the mental health, to what in the old days was called psych ward. We go every Tuesday night to uh, the psych ward. And we, we have, and this is lay led. Uh, but but we have to go through training, and, and we have a Bible study. I could tell you story after story after story of lives that are changed because the hospital lets us in, and all we do is build a relationship with these folks, and when they get out, they start coming to Emmanuel. So the missions worldwide, yeah. Yeah. Niger, uh, New York, that are direct, that we support, started a hospital, radio station, television station, You can't do everything. So we've identified four areas around the world other than just our community. Niger, Africa, we've identified New York City and the rickshaws. If you go to Central Park, the guys driving the Mm -hmm, the rickshaw, we started a church for them. And the reason is because they all come from Niger. If you ask them, where are you from, Uh, Niger? Well, we're taking care of their families, uh, built a hospital, a school, planted churches. Seventy-two churches in Niger were burned by al-Qaeda uh, about two years ago. They came to our hospital and church and the women of Niger came out and joined hands and said, if you're going to burn this, you're going to have to kill us mm-hmm. because these people have helped us. The radio station, telev- we had the only television station in Nehemi, uh that's private. Everything else is government owned, a radio station. A, co- a cool story, a few years ago, there was almost a riot at our radio station, which we run, our church does. and And when we figured out where the riot was coming from, what happened was we don't know how this occurred. Uh, but in the public address system for all the mosques in Miami, wires got crossed, and they started broadcasting our Christian radio station over the Muslim loudspeakers. Oh and, uh, you know, so we are seeing people saved, uh, Muslims, across the board uh, in, in Niger. We go to Guatemala. We go to Poland. We've got a team leaving Sunday to go to Poland. So what we've tried to do is help our folks understand that when Jesus said uh, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, it wasn't for people 2,000 years ago. It's for us. And you translate it, Enid, Oklahoma, and uttermost parts of the earth. So that's kind of what we're doing.
0: Oh, great. Well, um, a couple things as we we kind of near the end. Um, Who... Who have you been uh, some of your um, uh, big influences, uh, uh, e- either, either theologically or maybe in terms of an area of leadership? But, but who uh, have, been, have been those key influences uh, on Wade?
1: Well, I tell you a great question, Todd. Um, um, I'll put it like this, and I don't mean to be flippant. I'm sure there are great contemporary leaders and writers. I don't read many. All of my influences are dead. Uh, hmm. They are the ones, the, the ones I read the most are from the 18th century. Hmm. Uh, Baptist in America particularly, a new covenant Baptist, John Gano, who baptized George Washington, Charles Spurgeon, who's from the 19th century, whose evangelism—he's uh, my—he's my mentor, uh, Spurgeon. But I have to read him, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I—I've read everything Spurgeon has has written. From a, I, I would say from a, I don't know. I—I I, I will say this: we did read. Uh, I our staff went through a book that I still scratch my head over, and it's. It's Andy Stanley's book, Um, I forget the name, oh, Deep and Wide, and here's where I scratch my head over it, because I even wrote a a blog post about it, Andy Stanley's doing an amazing job in reaching people, but he makes the statement, I would never preach expositionally, verse by verse, uh, because you can't hold people's attention, and, and, you know, so I I scratch my head, because that's all I've ever done, is go verse by verse. Uh, you know, so, but there's good and bad with anybody contemporary, good and bad in what I write, but Shoot. the guys that I read and learn from, uh, leadership, for example, Henry Stanley, who found Dr. Livingston, in my opinion, the greatest leader America has ever seen, but he grew up in London as an orphan, and, and I'm infatuated with Henry Stanley, and he's got some connections to Oklahoma, uh, but those are the, the, the guys that I read and
0: follow so um do you have any um do you have a group you mentor you have a, you have a um whether they're young pastors yeah, or, I, yeah, or uh, yeah
1: yeah yeah i do uh, every wednesday beginning in fact i canceled a meeting to do this today which is fine because two of the three guys couldn't make it but every wednesday from eight until one Every hour, 8 to 9, 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12. It's all pastors, and they're all on our staff, and they're all young. And I meet with them, usually two to three. Uh, A couple of pastors are volunteers. Uh, They're they're people that we have brought to America, uh, basically, for political asylum. But they're called to ministry, but their lives were in danger. And so they join us. Uh, I mentor them. On Tuesday mornings, for 25 years, I've met with men. Uh, it's a free for all. It's one chapter at a time, discussion, community, and it's just men of uh, cross section, pilots, police officers, farmers, and so on. And I do that. So those are the two times that I mentor, Tuesday morning lay people and Wednesday morning people who feel called to vocational ministry.
0: Yeah. And and so I, I know that you um you 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 called yourself an avocational historian, but you you, you do a lot of writing. So aside from, you know, regular preaching ministry and these particular two specific occasions, you've undoubtedly helped the congregation to think a little bit more. Uh, And I don't, I know this sounds terribly, um, well, I don't know. There's several words I could use. It doesn't sound good maybe, but I, I, I don't, Uh, what I mean by what I'm fixing to say is, is that I I don't know that we do a lot of training to think well and, and yet, and and yet you, your, your writing is, is, uh, well organized. It's, it's, uh, when I say targeted, I mean, you have something to say. Um, so aside from say you're writing on your blog or, um, Uh, these, these mentoring opportunities, are, are there other, are there other ways that you help facilitate, you know, really good, good gospel thinking uh, in the congregation?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, You know, the, I've, uh, I, the book radically new fraudulent authority, uh, which I've written happens, Mm -hmm. doesn't just happen. And so on, Uh, there's about seven theological books and then probably three or four, books from a history slant uh you know to even write those i have to read like crazy so i read 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 then we'll do podcasts uh of wednesday night bible studies and man i will stretch them i will stretch them i'll give you one example um martin luther and john calvin disagreed over the inherent immortality of the soul Mm -hmm. what i mean by that is martin luther believed that only God is immortal, and Mm -hmm. that every human being will die, cease to exist, and that if a person is given the gift of immortality, Mm -hmm. it is granted by God and is not inherent. Well, Calvin just, oh, he threw a fit. And -hmm. the first book he ever wrote at the age of 25, he wrote against Martin Luther's teaching Uh, and the Christian church, evangelical church, has followed Calvin since that time. Mm -hmm. However, I am more and more convinced that Luther was on target. And this affects your view of hell, Mm -hmm. this affects your view of judgment, Mm -hmm. this affects everything. So I did an entire series, 16 weeks, uh, you know, rethinking the idea of immortality and judgment and hell. And uh, now, But what we say, it's podcast, it's out there, I've done some writing on it. We tell our people all the time, don't you dare, don't you dare accept what I say because I say it. Right. Uh, The truth of the matter is Calvin and Luther disagreed. Right. But, but, you better think for yourself. And so what we'll do is, on every issue, eschatology, inherent immortality, uh, women in ministry, whatever it may be, we'll do pros and cons. And we'll have people stand up and say, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. And then we'll say, okay, search it out for yourself. On eschatology, I did a series and gave the five major views and, and taught every one of them as if I believed them. Right. And then at the end, the very last one, I told them what I personally believed. Yeah. And I asked them to vote on what you thought I believed es- eschatologically. <laughs> and you know what? It was evenly divided among them. Is the that body. right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, isn't oh, that crazy? Yeah, that is good. Yeah, so to answer your question, what do we do? Yeah. We create an environment where people are free to think good. and not be called into question because what they're saying doesn't yeah. fit the norm.
0: No, that's good. That's good. Well, um, anything else that, that, like, if you were uh, wanting to, offer some kind of encouragement or insight, or maybe you thought there'd some, something we might kind of hit on that, that we haven't that you think might help someone who's trying to maybe be not just maybe lead in terms of vocational pastoring, but a really a, a lay leadership where, you know, you we're really wanting to think theologically, find the intersection of life and faith and, and um, you know, kind of thinking in, in, in really healthy ways about, you know, how we're living faithfully in the kingdom Anything in particular that, that you, you you'd want to throw out there? Absolutely, uh, and in fact, it'd be a good closure
1: uh, on the podcast. And Todd, I really appreciate what you're doing, what you stand for, who you are. Here's what I would say uh, to any young pastor uh, who is in ministry at a large church, a small church—it doesn't make any difference. Vocational minister, uh, avocational, uh, interim, bivocational—who knows? Here's what I would say. Live by principle. Uh, Live by principle. Not not by whether or not people like you. Live by principle. Now, somebody says, oh, I do that all the time. I live by principles. Okay. Then let me ask you this. What is the over-driving principle that guides your life? Or let me put it even stronger. What is the guiding principle that drives your life? Mm -hmm. Name it. And if... Einstein once said, if you can't get a five-year-old to understand what you're saying, you don't understand it yourself. Mm. So, say it in a way a five-year-old could understand it. What is the driving principle of your life? Mm. Here's what I would say. If it's not love, then you're screwed up. uh, Excellent. Because, because Jesus said, by this, your love, everyone will know you are my disciple." And, and uh, so what that means is this, God, everything I do is based upon love. Mm-hmm. And that means, and it's not I need you or I want you to like me. No, it's love. I right. will do it because I believe it's best for you, even if it's painful, mm-hmm. like a surgeon will cut in order to remove a cancer. Mm-hmm. But if, if because of boundaries, if someone says, okay, stop cutting, then I will stop because I love that person and respect them, and I don't consider them a child, uh, you know. So the surgeon analogy doesn't go, you know, uh, as far as it needs to for a Christian. I, w- I will love you and do what I believe is best, and will respect your words. And somebody says, "Okay, define love." First Corinthians 13 does. Mm-hmm. And so, in relationship, in ministry, across the board, if First Corinthians 13 is the driving force of your life, you will succeed even if everyone in the world turns against you.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to thank you for listening. And as uh, mentioned earlier, uh, share the podcast. Uh, maybe you've got a pastor friend or someone in your church who you'd like to uh, see think uh, theologically, make these connections, intersections. Uh, pass the podcast along. Next week, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with Kyle Roberts, and we're going to talk about public theology. That is, what happens when we start talking about theology in the public space? And uh, Kyle teaches uh, and teaches about that particular issue, among other things, and I look forward to having that conversation. So until next time, this has been Todd Littleton with Path Theological, the podcast for that, the pastor theologian. Peace.